Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So, like I was saying, I do appreciate this opportunity to talk. I'm not on the teaching team, and I don't feel like an eloquent, like, fast talker. I think the sermon might be as long as Justin's, but I have, like, half of the words because I think I'll just speak a little bit slower, um, feel a little bit like Moses saying uh, I'm just slow of speech in general. Um, But I feel also that I have been blessed with um, the Spirit of God God said to Moses, he said, who made man's mouth, um, who makes him deaf, seeing or blind, it's me and I um, will give you the words to speak. And that's how I feel. I feel um, like I have been given a message to give to this group this morning and I pray that you'll be um, receptive and hear. Um, You've also got Jesus saying the same thing. It's not just an Old Testament promise, but he says after the resurrection that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we saw what happened when the Holy Spirit was given in that room as the people waited and prayed. And I've been doing a lot of waiting and praying, and I feel like these words are not coming directly from me, and I'm not preaching from a place of strength or high up, um, but I'm just speaking what I've been given this morning. And I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone. So if this is... a uh, harder message realize that it's kind of hard on me to take in as well i am preaching to myself um and so just go through it with me if you will um our text is in colossians we are finishing out a series here uh, on the book of colossians we've been there for a number of weeks and we are going to read the last five verses starting with verse seven from colossians four so colossians four seven reads Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that, he may, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. See that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And let's just pray one more time this morning. Lord, we thank you for these words. ask that you would speak to us through them that we would all be um, encouraged and challenged this morning um, and be able to take something with us where we can apply it to our lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So, who did you run with when you were a kid? Who was your crew? 
that you go on adventures and find the abandoned field and explore around your neighborhood? Do you go down to the lake and catch fish? Like, what were you trying to accomplish? Who were these people around you? And what role did they have in your lives? Were they all trustworthy? Do you have best friends? Did you have friends of friends? Um, was it a, a dynamic group? Um, if I look at pop, pop culture, the groups I think of are the kids from the Goonies. I think of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. Like, I know those weren't kids, they were, but they were like hobbits and stuff. But still, like, pop culture, that's what like, I think of when I think of a group running around and adventuring. Um, the kids from Stranger Things more recently, if you are a Netflix person like me. Um, and these are dynamic groups, and they speak to us, and they remind us of like, the people that we were uh, running around with when we were kids. And you felt like you could do anything with that group of friends. And I just I have been thinking, you know, what does our communi community look like today? Are we as dynamic? Is there something? Is there something more static going on? Have we built up some barriers in our lives to make our life a little bit more safe than it was when we were kids? Um, are we letting fewer people in to our lives? Um, we're going to look at Paul's crew. As you heard in our text, there's just a lot of names. We're going to look at a few of those names this morning. Um, it was very dynamic. There were people coming and there were people going. Um, and most interestingly, interestingly to me, there were a few deserters in the crowd. There were a few people who really, it seems like, did not deserve trust, did not de deserve uh, that close relationship, maybe, that Paul had for them anyway. Um, so what do we do with people in our lives who maybe don't deserve um, our trust? They are not trustworthy. Um, they have deserted at one point. How do we react to that? Um, and so, with that in mind, we're going to go into three of those deserters specifically. But first, I want to talk about some words. So this is the audience participation part. I appreciate that you are all so close to me, and maybe we can have a little back and forth here. Um, free association, word association. If you um, can think of the first word that comes to mind when I say discipline, what is that word? Anyone? Oh, cheater. Okay. Disciple. Anyone else? Military. All right. Punishment. Punishment. Dictionary definition right there. Punishment. Disciple. It is. Yeah. Anything else? Correction. Yep. Second definition there. Sorry. I, there's, there are no right or wrong answers, but some of, some of these answers are right. <laughs> Yep. Um, did you say instruction? Correction. Correction. All right. So I thought the first word I was going to hear was punishment. It was one of the first. Um, but what I wanted to do was get to the place of talking about disciples. So you have preempted me, Josh. I appreciate having you here. Um, but if we look at the etymology of the word disciple, um, I've always wanted to have the word discipline not associated with it. So I, I looked it up and said, are these words, like, did they come from the same place? And they did, of course. Um, the Latin di discipulus, discipulus. Some people here took Latin. They could tell me how to pronounce that. But 
it was the word for pupil, and it gave us both the word disciple and discipline. Uh, disciple came first, 12th century and earlier. It was used to say the spreader of doctrine. That was a disciple. Um, but discipline came around in the 13th century, and it was used to describe religious self-flagellation, so harming yourself to bring yourself closer to God. Um, that was, these were the dark ages. This is what people were doing, and that is how we got the word discipline to start with. Um, I, I would like there not to be this connotation where you think of discipline and you first think of punishment. Um, the dictionary does go, number one, punishment is the definition of discipline. Second is instruction. Third is field of study, but way down at number four is the one that I like most, training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. And when I think of discipleship, I don't want people looking at us to see, oh, if I am in community with this person, I'm going to receive punishment. They want to make me a better person, so they're going to punish me. They're going to react harshly when I tell them uh, the things that I've done that I'm not proud of. Um, I want them to know that if they reach out to us, they will receive grace. And so what I think we need is a discipline of the fourth definition, something that we can work on, something that we are going to use to perfect ourselves, and I think that is grace. So that would be what I want would title this sermon. Um, if you are a person who needs to write down the title, you can say that it is discipling is the discipline of grace. So let's go into our relationships with each other saying that I'm not going to interact with you if I go and talk to Aaron about my life. He, I know he's not going to return to me uh, discipline in the form of punishment and making me feel really bad about myself. I know he will have grace because God's shown grace to him. And he works really hard. I see it worked out in his life. And so I trust that in our relationship, all he's going to have for me is grace. So I liked a lot of your definitions. Yes, discipline can be something that you work really hard on, you persist with, and you become really good at it. And let's have that discipline for us be grace so that people see that instead of religious self-flagellation, right? So, I told you there were three deserters in this passage, and if you can guess all three, I will buy you lunch afterwards. Uh, didn't think so exactly, right? Unless you read my notes. Um, the first deserter, and we're going to talk through these people in terms of do we recognize them in our lives? How do we react to them? What does Paul model for us? What does Jesus model for us? The first one is Mark. And you might not have thought that because he was kind of a big deal. Like, what was his situation? He was Barnabas's cousin. He was really connected with his family. Barnabas was kind of like the Robin to Paul's Batman, if you're reading through Acts. Like, they were going on these journeys and spreading the gospel. They were doing great things. And Mark was close to Barnabas. Barnabas was close to Mark. Um, another person in Mark's family was his mom, who actually, Peter, miraculous, miraculously escapes from prison. It, there, it's nothing short of miraculous, if you uh, look at it in the book of Acts. But Peter runs to Mark's mom's house. So he's connected with his cousin, his mom. These are all like kind of pillars of the early church. 
Um, and Mark was the one who wrote the first gospel that we have here, the book of Mark. So he's like pretty famous, pretty big deal. He was traveling with Paul. But we get a little bit more interesting of a story when we go to Acts chapter 15. So I'm going to get over there this morning. In Acts 15, verse 36, we get an interesting account about Paul and Barnabas and Mark. So in Acts 15, verse 36, it reads, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Excuse me. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Mark was that guy, that friend's friend, who drives a wedge between what are really like the dynamic duo of the early church. Paul and Barnabas get split um, because of Mark. Um, but he's still here in this passage. Uh, in your childhood, which of your running mates was that guy that you didn't really trust and you shouldn't have trusted because he was closer with this other person or drew him away? Do you remember these people in your lives who um, they, they didn't deserve your trust so you didn't give it to them? In my childhood, I had a friend named Matt, and he was great. Uh, we were friends, but we weren't best friends, right? Neither of us was best friends with the other. We had other friends who were closer, so we never really uh, divulged our deepest secrets to each other because we didn't have that close of a relationship. I appreciated and he had a lot going for him, kind of like Mark. Uh, Matt, was his, his dad was a doctor. He had a lot of uh, stuff, honestly. He was really cool. Like, you could go and hang out at his house. You go to his basement. He had, like, that TV that was, like, as wide as it was deep. But, like, you could play 007 on the four split screen and see what was going on. Like, he was a really fun guy. And he was kind of big deal in my town. But we were not best friends, and we didn't trust each other that much. Um, He didn't drive a wedge between me and any of my other friends. So uh, maybe my, my childhood wasn't even as dynamic as Paul's adulthood. But... Uh, still, if you were the person who, like, didn't deserve that trust, what, what do you want? You want grace? You want forgiveness if you need it? Um, and how does Paul react? Because this epistle is written after Mark had already left. Um, Paul has forgiveness and grace because we see that Mark is right back in the crew, um, I don't know what went down. I don't know exactly how Mark approached Paul to say, hey, can I be back in the fold? Can I like, come back on your missions? Can I help spread the gospel with you? Um, I don't know how that conversation went, if it was super awkward or if it was full of grace. But uh, regardless, the, the final answer is grace in this case. Um, Paul takes him right back in, um, and they become close running mates again. And what I'm going to do with all of these three folks is look at what Jesus did in a similar situation, too. Um, We look at Peter. It's 
specifically. Um, this is a guy who disowned Christ three times and fell asleep within like the span of like five hours here. Um, let's go to John 13 and just read this story because it's incredibly powerful in my mind. In John 13, I'll read verses 36 through 38. This is at the Last Supper. And Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And we know the story that Jesus is being crucified in the process of giving up the ghost and people are asking Peter, hey, didn't you know this guy? Didn't you know Christ? And Peter says, no, I never knew the man. So Peter goes from a place where he thinks he's strong, he thinks he can do it, and he turns around and denies Christ three times, just like Jesus said he would. And then even more powerful in my mind, you've got six chapters later, Jesus having come back from the dead, Jesus uh, coming back and Peter having held on apparently and, and seeing Christ and uh, I don't know if he was destitute. I don't know if he was in a really dark place because he had uh, denied Christ. I would assume so. Um, but we read in John 21 verse 15 that Christ reaches right back out and wants Peter back in the fold. In John 21:15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Then Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So we see the connection here between Jesus saying, uh, Peter saying, I will follow you to death. And Jesus saying, maybe long term you will, but short term you're going to deny me three times. And Peter saying, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. And then in that night, denying Christ three times. Three days later, he's still hanging on. And Jesus comes right out to him and says, hey, I recognize that you did this three times, but let's talk about it. What will it take to bring you back into the fold? Um, feed my lambs. And this is actually how you are going to serve me. And yes, you will serve me in life and in death. Short term, yeah, you struggled. You screwed up. But long term, you will um, be a great uh, power for the Lord's kingdom and follow me. So this is what we see modeled in Christ, that he is willing to reach out to people who have left. Like, it would be easy, I think, um, if, you were, if you were dying and someone is disowning you at that moment to say, all right, I have no grace for you. That's about the worst thing that could happen to me. Um, but Jesus goes and pulls Peter back into the fold, and we know that Peter was 
a great missionary um, for the early church after that. And so Paul has seen this modeled, and he gives that grace as well. So we have seen it modeled in Christ. We've seen it modeled in Paul. And like 1 Corinthians 11 one says, Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's follow in that example as well. So our first deserter was Mark, actually. But he comes back in the fold. Our second deserter is Onesimus. And as much as Mark was a big deal, Onesimus was not. Onesimus um, was an escaped slave. He's a fugitive. He's on the lam. Um, he doesn't get a lot of time in this passage, but the whole book of Philemon is about Onesimus, uh, sent to Onesimus' master. And uh, I'm guessing, this is Riley Olson version, I'm guessing that Onesimus met Paul in prison because I, I mean, this was where Paul was. He was in prison. Onesimus is an escaped fugitive. It makes sense to me that they were both in prison and they met and they got close. That's conjecture on my part. But regardless, they became very close. Um, let's read Philemon. Uh, it's a short book. We'll read 12 verses out of it this morning. Uh, Philemon, starting in verse 10, I'll start. This is Paul speaking to Philemon, who was Onesimus's owner before Onesimus deserted and left, um, left his service. In verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you. Now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this to you with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your, through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So Paul just completely puts himself out there and says, Hey, I am willing to stake my wallet and my reputation on this guy who deserted you. Because what he deserted you for is that he came, in the end, to Christ. He came to me, Paul. He wanted to be in my community. And sure, uh, maybe he owes you something. Maybe he owes you a lot. He was your bondservant. But whatever that is, I'll pay for it out of my own account. He calls him uh, his child. He calls him his own heart. And so now if you look back to your childhood, that community, that fellowship that was around you, do you have that person who had no social standing? Didn't have a lot of friends? There was no reason to trust them. They didn't have a lot to offer you. Um, in my childhood, I think of Eric. I don't remember his dad ever being around. He did not have money. He did not have that big screen television like my other friend had. There was not a lot to offer. 
Um, and I would say, sadly, that he wasn't my best friend. I don't know if I was his. I don't think he had a lot of close friends. But what did he want? He wanted understanding. He wanted humility, appreciation, reciprocity. He wanted a confidence, and he wanted someone to trust him when no one else would. Um, so do you recognize that person in your life back then or today? And also, are you that person who is needing someone to trust you? Do you need a champion? Do you need someone who will put it on the line for you? This is what we are called to do. This is what we see modeled in Paul and also in Christ. Paul takes him in 100%. There are no conditions involved. Um, he goes out on a limb for him and uses his position pretty much to shame Philemon, who was his owner. Um, I, I didn't try to read that with a lot of uh, sarcasm in my voice, but like, it almost just drifts off the page, right? Like, to say nothing of you owing me your life, please do this for me. I know you will um, do this and even more. By the way, make a room for me because I'm going to be coming by and you owe me, basically. Like, that's how I read it. Paul is using his position um, to shame the person in power, really, and elevate this servant, uh, Philemon, or Onesimus, who has deserted Philemon, but now is wanting to be all in for the gospel. And that's my question for us this morning, is how do we bring these people into community? When we recognize this situation, people who don't have a lot to offer, but they want to offer what they have for God's kingdom, do we bring them in, or do we still put up those walls and keep keep our community pretty safe, um, keep it where we understand it, um, don't go out on a limb, don't, certainly don't put any money out for these people. Um, that's not how it was modeled for us, and that's not how Christ modeled it for Philemon. If I look in Luke chapter 23, all my examples from Jesus' life are happening in a span of days here. But in Luke chapter 23, we see someone who had nothing to offer. In verse 39, um, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to he said to him, Jesus said to this thief, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What did the thief have to offer as Jesus was dying? As Peter had just denied him, as Judas had just betrayed him, the thief offers nothing. He is publicly humiliated, reviled. There's no lower place on the social ladder than up on the cross, right? Um, but Christ had something for him. He had the same promise that, we all have, which is heaven, which is a place of eternal relationship with our Father. And it's the greatest thing that we could be offered, and we need to realize that we didn't do anything to deserve it either, right? There's nothing that we did to say, like, hey, I deserve heaven. That's been given to us freely. It was given to Paul freely. It was given to the thief on this cross freely, and we need to also offer it out freely. So we've got two deserters. 
We've got Mark, who deserted Paul early in his uh, mission work, and we've got Onesimus, who deserted what was a really tough situation, but he deserted into the mission work and was taken in. They were both taken in with open arms. Um, Lastly is someone who does not get much time at all, which is why I didn't think any of you would be able to guess these three folks. Um, Demas. Demas, I don't think, gets more than a word here in Colossians 4. Um, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, Jesus called Justice. Uh, Down in verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. That's all we get. Um, So we don't know much about his life, but we do know that he ended up deserting Paul and the faith and the early mission of the church because we go to 2 Timothy 4.10 and that's the only other time we get anything about him. 2 Timothy 4.10 reads, uh, I'll start in verse 9, Do your best to come to me soon, verse 10, For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you, for he is very useful for, to me for ministry. Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So he was in love with the world. He wasn't in love with God. He wasn't in love with the gospel, the good news. And we don't hear anything about him coming back. This is the last we hear of Demas. He may have deserted and never came back. That's certainly what it sounds like. In your crew... Was there someone like this? Is someone who abandoned you, who left you in the lurch, and you, you didn't know where to go from there because they had been with you up until that point? Um, I had a friend, and I poured into his life, and we were best friends, so all these other people, they weren't my best friend, but he was. Um, he was my best friend, and we um, spent years together growing up, and I don't remember the exact situation if, uh, I just overheard it, or if um, he was asked point blank in front of me who his best friend was, but the answer was not me, right? And that, you know, hurts, you know, a lot as someone who you pour your life into. And I didn't bring this up with him. I didn't, like, I didn't try to let it impact me, but we moved away shortly thereafter, and we definitely lost touch. Um, so my relationship with this guy is not, I think, what it should be, what it could have been if uh, I had had open communication. Um, What I wanted in this situation was reciprocity, again, understanding, appreciation, and love. Um, But in in his situation, what he probably wanted was open communication and grace on my part. Love, again, um, forgiveness, because maybe he didn't realize even that uh, it was something that hurt me. But uh, forgiveness... I think, is key and grace. So how does Paul react to being abandoned? We don't, we don't get a lot, right? We don't get a huge story about um, grace. But what we can see is that if he came back, he would have been welcomed. We look at what happened to Mark, and Mark came back, and he was right back in the fold. Um, Paul could have gone and slandered the guy, right? He could have said... Th- I am a leader in the church. I know from God, um, you know, how these things go. Uh, Demas, he's gone. He's not going to make it to heaven. Just take my word for it. If you run into, into him in the street, just like give him one for me. I'm, I'm sick of this guy and 
he's not going to make it. He's done for. Um, that wasn't what he said. And we see, again, from how he reacted to Mark, that this guy would have been welcomed right back if he came. And so, what do we have from Jesus in the same situation? We might have thought that Peter had done the worst to Christ that could be done, but I think the answer to that question is Judas. Judas is the one who betrayed him, gave up uh, Jesus' life, gave him into the hands of law enforcement. How does Jesus react towards Judas? The way I read it, Jesus almost didn't want to acknowledge it. He just didn't want to put Judas on the spot and call him out and um, just shame him. Um, we read uh, the account, again, it's that Last Supper, and Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And of course the disciples just start into like, oh, is it me, is it me? I don't think that was what Jesus was trying to get at. Like, I want to tell you who it is. He just says, one of you will betray me. And they all say, is it I, is it I? And uh, Judas even says, is it I? Which is interesting to me. Does he, does he hope that someone else is going to like get there first and maybe he's still on the fence about this? I'm not sure. Um, and Jesus doesn't say, yeah, it's you. It's you. You are like full of evil. You are this person who's never going to come back. Like It's you, Judas. You will go down in history as the worst person alive. That is not the response. Um, Jesus says, you have said so, which in, on, those words to me are just like, I, it's hard for me to say the words. You have said so that it is you. Um, he, he says, it's the one who dips the bread, right? He does, almost doesn't want to acknowledge it. Um, and then at the garden, Judas comes back and he does betray Jesus. And, and how does Jesus greet him? Do we remember the words that he uses? He says, friend, do what you came to do. So even at this moment, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He, he sees Judas about to do it. He calls him friend in that situation. Peter is the one who like fights back and Jesus scolds Peter. He calls Judas friend. But the, the dominoes have been set in motion, right? Like it's already happening. Um, Judas doesn't stop. Judas does, goes through with it and lives the next few hours full of regret. Um, Judas did not accept grace or forgiveness, but it's clear to me that that's all that Jesus had for Judas in this situation. Because, again, just like Paul had for Mark, like Jesus had for Peter, we can see that it's there. The, the forgiveness, the grace, is going to be offered. Um, but Jesus doesn't see a way out. Um, in Matthew 27, we see Judas go um, back to the priests of the day saying, oh, I've got this blood money. I don't want it anymore. And they say, we don't want your blood money either. Um, and at that point, what options does Judas have? Does he have, does he see a way out? We, we know, and, and maybe it's just from a lot of study, maybe, like maybe Judas didn't understand Christ's position as well as we do here, but we know that Christ had grace in this situation. Judas did not see it. He was on the edge, and he did not see a path back. Um, so he goes and hangs himself. So who in our life is there? Who is living on the edge where they don't see a path back. Um, it might be people in this room. It might be you. If you are on the edge, if you don't see a way out, 
um, know that God has grace for you, that God wants to reach out to you. Just hold on for a little while longer and God will recognize that and God um, wants to forgive you. He wants, he wants you to see that path back like Peter did and he wants to do great things in your life. Um, so don't be the person who doesn't see that God has that for you. And if you're not that person, who is it in your life? Who Maybe you don't even see their situation right now, but they look and they don't see grace as an option. They look at their friends, they look at you and they say, oh man, if I, if I talk to this person about this problem, they would never forgive me. There would be nothing but punishment, right? Um, that's why we need to have the discipline of grace in our lives so that it is clear to everyone around us that if we come to them, they won't receive the spirit of discipline, punishment, or shame that they will receive grace. Um, so that's why we need to be known as a people of grace, and that's what we see in Jesus' life and Paul's life. And that's what I want to get out of this passage this morning, that there might be people in your life who are deserters. Who is your crew? Who are your running mates today um, that you're going through this life with? Do you recognize these situations? Um, are there people who are abandoning you, who have abandoned you, have abandoned a tough situation, and now they're with you 100%? Are you one of these people? Have you run away from God in the past? Are you running away from God now? Or are you running to him through your situation? So we need to be like Onesimus running from our tough situations into God's arms. We need to be like Mark. If we've um, run away from God, we need to run right back to the gospel, to the good news. I think we're always heading into something or coming out of something or maybe in the middle of it. It could be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, um, financial. Whatever it is, God has grace for us. And that's the message of this book. That's the message of this, um, the entire gospel, really. Um, so as you look at your fellowship today, your community, it might look like the island of misfit toys, right? If we go to Colossians um, we would have talked about this several weeks ago, but in Colossians 3, verse 11. Um, I'll start at verse 10, actually. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. The message is that we get a new self, right? The people who are part of our lives they're no longer what they were. In Christ, we have a new identity. And Paul's crew is made up of strong Christians, weak Christians, Jews, Gentiles, new Christians, old Christians, escaped slaves, deserters. They are people who make this a very dynamic group, right? And as we look in our life, um, are we discipling people in that way that will take you in regardless? And we will be a team brought together by Christ by the good news. Can you identify the deserters in your life? And more importantly, can you identify with them and then extend the grace that has been extended to you already? So how do we do this? We see it in the rest of the chapter. We read the word together. We encourage each other. We keep in touch. 
struggle in prayers on each other's behalf. Um, the goal is to mature and fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. We do this in each other's houses, um, in neighboring, neighboring churches, in prison. Like this whole letter came from in prison and it's being read in America 2,000 years later. I don't care where you are, but if you are living out the gospel, if you are preaching it there, God can use it in ways that you did not expect. And above all, we need to have grace. Last week we talked about how our words need to be seasoned with salt. But right before that, it says full of grace. So I, I, you can season them with salt if you want, but make sure they're full of grace. And last but not least, let's remember each other's chains. In verse 18, Paul he says, I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Look for the things that are holding your friends back, that are holding people back in your life. Recognize them. Pray over them. We all have them. So find them and work through them with your friends, with your fellowship, with your community. Because Paul accepted imperfect people, and so did Jesus, and so must we. The book ends the way it began in verse 2 of Colossians 1. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And here at the end, I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Grace bookends this series. It bookends this book. It's what this whole thing, this whole word of God, 66 books, is about. Grace. And that's what we need to be about. Um, so I say to you, let your discipleship be a discipline of grace. Um, extend it as you have freely received it. And we're going to take time to pray this morning, and then we'll head into a time of communion and worship. But I want our focus to be on how we can extend grace this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and the grace that you've shown. As we head into a time of worship and communion, Lord, we just ask that you would show us the people in our lives that you want us to extend grace to. As we think of communion, how your body was given for us, your blood was given for us, there's nothing we did to deserve it, but you went out of your way to give us uh, this relationship with you. And so as we have freely um, received. Let us freely give. Let us follow your model and extend grace to the people in our lives. Lord, we just ask that you be with us time. Draw us close to yourself. Um, speak to us in this time of worship and just uh, guide us and speak into our hearts as we are receptive to you. Amen.